creative project is like a marathon. But if you saw me, you would instantly know that I have never run a marathon in my life. Join me as I embark on a pseudo-marathon, a journey to create 365 podcasts, one a day for an entire year. Good evening, folks. Friday night. MJ here on day 38 of 365. I'm not using the new microphone today because I'm not on location or I'm on location. I don't know. I'm not at my computer, so you'll just have to bear with it. Ooh, pardon me for that little yawn. Here it is, day 38. Work underwater. Fill up a large bowl, vase, or an old fish tank with water and create something inside of it. Okay, I I have a confession. I lied. I'm not filming on location. I'm just too lazy to set up the microphone. I still have to clean up my desk to like properly set it up, so it's everything I just left. And so what I was going to do is I was going to do it like I was supposed to operate from in the water, and I was going to do another bath episode, but then that was too far away. The bath was in the bathroom, and I'm not. So, so that's not happening. So I thought I would just do like an underwater theme, but I wanted to make sure I was being all copyright friendly. Because that you know that's important to me. So I have um, the first chapter of Moby Dick. Well, like I might, I'm just gonna try to read for a little bit. I have a confession. I mean, I generally know the story. Never read it, and this is gonna be painful. But we're in this together, right? Okay. <clears throat> chapter one, Loomings. Call me Ishmael. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely. Having little or no money in my purse, and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. It is a way I have of driving off the spleen and regulating the circulation. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off. Then Then I count it high time to get to sea as soon as I can. This is my substitute for pistol and ball. With a philosophical flourish, Cato throws himself upon his sword. I quietly take to the ship. There's nothing surprising in this. If they but knew it, almost all men in their degree... Sometime or other, cherish very nearly the same feelings toward the ocean with me. There now is your insular city of the Manhattos, belted round by wharves as Indian Isles by coral reefs. Commerce surrounds it with her surf. Right and left, the streets take you waterward. Its extreme downtown is the Battery, where that noble mole is washed by waves and cooled by breezes, which a few hours previous were out of sight of land. Look at the crowds of water-gazers there. Circumambulate the city of a dreamy Sabbath afternoon. Go from Corlier's Hook to Quentin's Slip, and from thence by Whitehall northward. What do you see? Posted like silent sentinels all around the town, standing thousands upon thousands of mortal men fixed in ocean reveries, some leaning against 
the spiles, some seated upon the pierheads, some looking over the bulwarks of ships from China, some high aloft in the rigging, as if striving to get a still better seaward peep. But these are all landsmen, of weekdays pent up in lath and plaster, tied to counters, nailed to benches. How then is this? Are the greenfields gone? What do they hear? But look, here comes more crowds, pacing straight for the water and seemingly bound for a dive. Strange? Nothing will content them but the extremest limit of the land. Loitering under the shady lee of yonder warehouses will not suffice. No, they must get just as nigh the water as they possibly can without falling in it. And there they stand, miles of them, leagues, inlanders all. They come from lanes and alleys, streets and avenues, northeast, south and west, yet here they all unite. Tell me, does the magnetic virtue of the needles of the compasses of all those ships attract them thither? Say once more, or no, once more, say you are in the country, in some high land of lakes. Take almost any path you please, and tend to one it carries you down in a dale, and leaves you there by a pool in the stream. There's magic in it. Let the most absent-minded of men be plunged in his deepest reveries. Stand that man on his legs, set his feet a-going, and he will infallibly lead you to water, if water there be in all that region. Should you ever be athirst in the great American desert, try this experiment. If your caravan happen to be supplied with a metaphysical professor, yes, as everyone knows, meditation and water are wedded forever. But here's an artist. He desires to paint you the dreamiest, shadiest, quietest, most enchanting bit of romantic landscape in all the valley of the Sacco. What is the chief element he employs? There stand his trees, each with a hollow trunk, as if a hermit and a crucifix were within. And here sleeps his meadow, and there sleep his cattle, and out from yonder cottage goes a sleepy smoke. Deep into distant woodlands winds a mazy way, reaching to overlapping spurs of mountains bathed in their hillside blue. But though the picture lies thus tranced, and though this pine tree shakes down its sighs like leaves upon this shepherd's head, yet all were vain, unless the shepherd's eye were fixed upon the magic stream before him. Go visit the prairies in June, when for scores on scores of miles you wade knee-deep among the tiger lilies. What is the one charm wanting? Water. There's not a drop of water there. Were Niagara but a cataract of sand, would you travel your thousand miles to see it? Why did the poor poet of Tennessee, upon suddenly receiving two handfuls of silver, deliberate whether to buy him a coat, which he sadly needed, or invest his money in a pedestrian trip to Rockaway Beach? Why is almost every robust, healthy boy with a robust, healthy soul in him, at some point or other, crazy to go to sea? Why, upon your first voyage as a passenger, did you yourself feel such a mystical vibration when first told that you and your ship were now out of sight of land? Why did the old Persians hold the sea holy? Why did the Greeks give it a separate deity, an own brother of Jove? Surely all this is not without meaning, and still deeper the meaning of that story of Narcissus, who, because he could not grasp the tormenting, mild image he saw in the fountain, plugged into it and was drowned. But that same image we ourselves see in all rivers and oceans. It is the image of the ungraspable phantom of life, and this is the key to it all. Now when I say that I am in the habit of going to sea whenever I begin to grow hazy about the eyes and begin to be overconscious of my lungs, I do not mean to have it inferred that I ever go to sea as a passenger. For to go as a passenger, you must have needs have a purse, and a purse that is but a rag unless you have something in it. Besides, passengers get seasick, grow quarrelsome, don't sleep of nights, 
do not enjoy themselves much as a general thing. No, I never go as a passenger, nor, though I am something of a salt, do I ever go to sea as a commodore, or a captain, or a cook. I abandon the glory and distinction of such offices to those who like them. For my part, I abominate all honorable, respectable toils, trials, and tribulations of every kind whatsoever. It is quite as much as I can do to take care of myself without taking care of ships, barks, brigs, schooners, and what not. And as for going as a cook, though I confess there is considerable glory in that, a cook being a sort of officer on shipboard, yet somehow I never fancied broiling fowls. Though once broiled, judiciously buttered, and judgmentally salted and peppered, there is no one who will speak more respectfully, not to say reverentially, of a broiled fowl than I will. It is out of the idolatrous dotings of the old Egyptians upon broiled ibis and roasted river horse that you see the mummies of those creatures in their huge bake houses, the pyramids. dry so we got through day 38 uh thanks for listening remember to check out my twitter at 50 geeks freed you can send me an email at formerly uh formerly repressed geek at gmail.com and here is day 39 write a haiku about something that happens to you today or is in the news today bonus illustrate it have a good night